You are Locked On Bucks, your daily podcast on the Milwaukee Bucks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Backs him down. Giannis into the lane. Giannis spinning. Welcome to Locked on Bucks. I'm Eric Name, Milwaukee Bucks supporter at The Athletic Wisconsin. And joining me as always is my good friend and founder of BrewHoop.com, Frank Men. And bringing you today's podcast is Himalaya. You can get Locked on Bucks on the new brand new podcast app, Himalaya, as well as Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify. And when you get in your car, tell your smart device to play podcast Locked on on bucks frank i teased a very special guest today we are gonna have that special guest but first i'll ask you how you doing buddy i'm good forget about me let's talk let's talk to our friend matt moore all right matt moore action network senior nba writer is joining us today um i don't know anyone more obsessive about the mvp <laughs> award and i say that dedicated with his- the word dedicated is fine <laughs> I don't think dedicated is enough. Like I just want to let everyone know how much I think of all the work you put into the MVP every year and how great it has been. Um, and I've told you this face to face. I've told you uh, this publicly, but I just want to let it be known for the record that I, I do absolutely love everything you do with MVP and having you on the podcast uh, is definitely something we wanted to do with the MVP coming up. So that's largely what we're going to talk to Matt about today. But before we do that, I wanted to talk to Matt a little bit about the like kind of the picture of the Eastern Conference, because today I wrote something at The Athletic where, you know, we did a top of the East uh, roundtable and, you know, talked about who's going to come out of the East and how it's all going to go down. And, you know, between the Sixers, the Bucks, the Celtics uh, and the Raptors, like with those four teams, who's the X factor and all these things. So hopefully you'll go check that out at the athletic, but I will uh, spoil the ending at the end. Everyone predicts the Bucks will go to the finals. And uh, this is something that is foreign to Bucks fans. Uh, it's not something that, you know, is normal. But as Frank and I talk about throughout, you know, the last couple months, well, you know, they've put up like historic numbers. Uh, all the underlying numbers say they should be very good. So like, should, should I be thinking that, you know, maybe the Bucks blow this? Like, how do how how do you, Matt, from the outside, uh, kind of view this Bucks team? Because uh, I, I think at times we, we get a little bit too deep into the forest to really kind of see exactly what's going on. So I was I was on the lookout for any sort of slippage from them after the All Star break. Like I was I was monitoring it pretty closely because I was like, okay, uh, this has been great. This is such an amazing start. Uh, wonderful team. All the metrics are excellent. 
I need to see, is this team going to be the 2014 Pacers? Are they going to be the 2015 Hawks? These teams that get out to these huge starts and everything is so great and the narrative is so wonderful. And then there's like a little slide, but they built up such a cushion that doesn't really matter. And then you get to the playoffs and it's like, oh, things are really hard. And then they kind of stumble a little bit and it ends in disappointment. Even if they make an Eastern Conference Finals, it's like they get stomped and, and it's really kind of disappointing. So I've been on the lookout for that. But since February... I also have been, since the All-Star break, I've just been asking this question with how much we've kind of been like, well, we got to see it with the Bucs. Well, we got to see it with the Bucs. Well, you know, we'll see what happens when we get in the playoffs. I've been asking myself the question of, are we just overthinking this? Like, are we just overthinking this? Like, what, what else would Milwaukee have to do? They have the best net rating. They have the best SRS, which factors that strength of schedule that Daryl Morey loves so much. They have the best record in the league. They have the MVP, who's the guy that's going to win most valuable player. I feel confident in saying at this point, he's going to win. Uh, they have a cast of really solid role players. There's no discernible weakness. They're good on offense and defense. They're exceptionally well-balanced. What is it exactly that I would want more from them? Like, What would I want more from Milwaukee to show me to prove that they are this dominant team? And it's true that you have to get in the playoffs and you have to do it there. But I see no reason to believe in the Bucks less than in the Raptors, who haven't done this with this core together, than in the Celtics, who have never done it with this core together and have obviously had a really messy season, than the Sixers, who have shown time and time again that they're a vulnerable squad that looks great when they're great and bad when they're anything else. They Milwaukee doesn't have any sort of discernible weaknesses the way that those other teams do. And they've got all of these strengths they have a formula that's been proven. Are there concerns that I have about Mike Budenholzer after watching him in the playoffs? Yeah, there are. Like, I love Bud. I love Bud. Love talking to him. He was in, like, he was so much more happy this year than he was in Atlanta, and I really enjoyed that. <laughs> like, confirm. He's just been, like, in a really good mood. I love everything about the team structure. It all makes sense. But there is this part of me that's like, look, I watched him go into the Eastern Conference Finals versus the Cavs and just not adjust. Just did not adjust at all to LeBron. I've seen him go into series and just not make the requisite adjustments. And so that's a concern for me. Like Giannis, I have a lot of confidence having watched every single possession that he's done this year, that there's simply no way to effectively stop him. But if teams do in fact employ the one thing you can do, which is load up and dare everybody else to beat him, and it doesn't work the way the same way that it does with Houston, that could be a downfall. But all of these things are ifs. I, I play all these games when I'm judging contenders by how many ifs do you need? to get through a playoff run. What do you need to happen? Well, if this happens and if this happens and with the bucks, the only way that they fail is if the ifs happen, if the things go wrong, if everything is just the way that we've expected, Milwaukee should absolutely roll to the finals. And honestly should be at least a pick them for the NBA title. Frank, are you okay over there? Are you okay over there, Frank? Uh, You know, uh, I was going to say, I wasn't necessarily ready for that last part, but um. You know the the funniest the funniest part about this is I, I feel like the Bucks are sort of set up where both extremes like there's there's like the pre written story for it you know like like if they disappoint there's like the well yeah they just I mean they this team had never done it in the playoffs and you know this is why we didn't we didn't expect them to be this good right so there's kind of like the um, I don't want to say preseason confirmation bias because I mean a, a lot of people. I mean, they were obviously like for good reason, like a popular overpick, but they were not a you know sixty win popular pick. Obviously, they were not a finished tops Look, in the I, East and Challenge of Warriors pick. But like, there's obviously like still like kind of at root like 
kind of like the the opposite of what the Celtics have. Like people want to have like try, have like people have been open to talking themselves back into the Celtics all mm-hmm. year because yeah. we thought the Celtics should be better than this. And so likewise, I think one of the interesting things has been like especially after the Brogdon injury, I was really curious if after the Brogdon injury, people would kind of like, you know, kind of national media would sort of seize on that to sort of like find more cracks and chinks in the armor and say like, Oh, well, you know, this is why I I just can't pick them over the Raptors or the Sixers or something like that. And I've been kind of pleasantly surprised. I mean, obviously the they've won enough games to kind of not give a reason to really start to kind of really question them. Um, But I think that's been interesting. But then the flip side of all that is, so, I mean, there's still maybe, you know, yeah, there maybe is that kind of downside scenario, obviously, but there's also that, like, I mean, this team could win the, win the title and, you know, five years from now, sure. Like the Warriors being historically great and dominant leading up to the season, like it, it will always be like, a, like, and they beat the Warriors, right. That, that would obviously be the storyline, but there is also that like kind of hiding in plain sight sort of side of this, where I think we'd look back on it and say, well, yeah, I mean, like, they were the best team during the regular season and they had the best player. And so they won every series and that, yeah, that then in, in hindsight, it makes sense. So it's, it's kind of funny how, you know, the kind of seeds are all there for really any kind of any outcome almost. Um, but obviously, yeah, I think Bucks fans, you know, we should, you know, again, like there's always like that, that hesitation. And I mean, I've, I've known Matt since 2008, 2000, 2007 really. And then 2008, our first summer league together. So, I mean, Matt knows the tortured history of Bucks fans. He's seen that from afar as, as much well, as Xander, anyone. Shout out. <laughs> um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Watching what, see, I deserve a Bucks championship if only because I had to sit with Matt while Joe Alexander, like Joe Alexander's way through, through the first summer. League and I just, that, that I was at. I just kept like turning my head and looking. At yeah, it wasn't, wasn't great. Um, but, uh, but, but yeah, so it is, it is kind of funny though. Cause it's just like, you know, and it's interesting too. It's like Rachel Nichols the other day on the jump. Like I forget what it was. I, I forget who it was. If it was like Byron Scott or some some random person, like made reference to the Bucks being the best regular being the best team in the regular season. And she like looked, looked at him and was like, "Well, the Warriors are the best team." And it was like, he was like, "Well, record. They don't have the best record. The Bucks have the best record." And so there, it is funny how like I mean, until you beat the Warriors, like there will always be that. And I totally get that. Um, but they are they have put themselves in a position where if they win a title, like we're not allowed to be like totally shocked, which is a phrase yeah. that I just did not expect. I didn't expect to say coming into the season, but I'm thrilled to, you know, thrilled to say it. And I'm looking for wooden surfaces to knock while I say it, but you know, it's, it's just one of those, one of those things that, um, you know, again, it, not that it was entirely predictable, but, but here we are. So I think like I went out to Milwaukee, <clears throat> I had to choose in preseason. I was going for one trip. Um, I was going for one trip to do like an, uh, like some time out there and I didn't, I didn't like, I just did basically scrums with Eric, but like being around the team for a little bit, I was like choosing, I had to choose which, where I was going to go. And is either going to be new Orleans for, for <laughs> Anthony Davis, um, which would have resulted in much, much different story. Um, or, or it was going to be the box. And it, you know, even from the limited exposure I had out there in preseason, like I, I wrote a column. I was it, it was surprising because everybody was like, well, yeah, you just got out there and you talked to them. So you're high on them. And it's preseason. I was like, no, look, I've done preseason enough. I know when to, to read through the hype and be able to read into like what guys say about the season. I was like, something's going on here. I was like, there is something different with Milwaukee. And I wrote that. And part of it was the attitude, which is I compared them to the Wizards and the Wizards were all like, well, we're still like the second best team in the East. And if it hadn't been, you know, if we just had got a chance and they, they kept writing these checks with their mouths that they couldn't cash. 
And I noticed that with the Bucks, like every time we asked that question about expectations, uh, their responses impressed me so much because Eric Bledsoe, uh, Malcolm Brogdon, Giannis, all the way down, they all said the same thing, which is, man, we're not going to talk anymore. We're not going to write about, we're not going to talk about what we can do. We have to go out and do it. And I was like, oh, okay. Because like that shows like a level of leadership and experience. And so with where they're at, at now, I, I've, I have to admit, like, I feel very validated in that. Like, I was like, I, I didn't expect 60 because how could you? But I was like, this team's going to be a real problem for people because of everything that, that you being around the team, you could just tell. And from the first game versus the Hornets, it was like, oh God, they are going to be a problem. And then they just kept getting better and better. And they really stayed. The biggest thing about them this season that's impressed me is that they improved is that they were good and they got better. They, they oh, we have problems with, with certain teams when switches. Oh, okay. We're going to add specific personnel that allows us to play Giannis at five and switch. How about that? Like, oh, we're going to, you know, we've got this weakness in these certain areas. We're going to get better at them. Like, that's so impressive. And I'll say this going in. What I keep thinking about this season is is this. The, one of the reasons that people are talking themselves into the Celtics, traditionally, this happens most of the time in the NBA, that by the end of May, we have reverted back to most of what our preseason expectations were. Because in the preseason, what do we always say the last couple of years? It's going to be the Warriors and it's going to be the Cavs. It's going to be the LeBron. It's going to be the Warriors. But going into the 2015 season, we didn't think that. We thought, oh, it's going to be the Cavs, but who knows it's going to come out of the West? The Spurs are the reigning champions. Uh, what about the Thunder? You know, they're going to be good again um, with Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook. And like, oh, what about this team and all these other guys? And like, Houston's still going to be in there. And then the Warriors came out, and what the Warriors provided was a realignment. Um, and what you have in the East now is you have an opportunity for a realignment where the Celtics thought they were going to be filling that gap. And the Bucks have a chance to usurp that. And on the other side... I'll just say this about the Warriors. I keep thinking about the 2011 Lakers in that they went to three straight finals. They were a dominant team. They had the best coach in Phil Jackson and Kobe Bryant and Pau Gasol and this awesome core. And it was everything they were going to go. They were going to roll to the finals again. And it was and it was not going to end until it did. And then it was over. And so whether it's this year or next year, I do think that there's a real opportunity here for the Bucks to seize a moment of realignment in the NBA. And when you have the best player in the league, that gives you a significant leg up. And just, just for context here, I just went back and looked at what the over-unders were going into the 14-15 season, just because I was kind of curious to look back on that, right? Uh, so this was, you know, the, the, the season that, that really kind of launched the Warriors as we know it. Cavs let, had the highest over under 58 and a half, then Thunder 57 and a half, Spurs 56 and a half, Bulls 55. It's kind of funny to think that the Bulls were not like ages ago were like actually a good team. Uh 55 and a half Clippers 55 and a half Warriors 50 and a half. Um and obviously the Bucks this year, you know, started off I think like what 47 and kind of inched up maybe a little bit by the end. Um Matt, you can keep me honest since that's kind of your job. Uh but but yeah, I mean same kind of ballpark um of of kind of expectations i and it's kind of funny you mentioned you know you matt you mentioned that historical price i I always think back a little bit and again these bucks are constructed like totally differently than the like 04 pistons but i whenever i just think of like a great team that was supposed to just destroy an opponent and then it just did not happen. I always kind of think back to that Lakers team and sort of the the end of the the Shaq and Kobe Lakers and how it was like 
one thing was just like assumed like yes the lake i mean clearly the lakers are gonna yes the clear look at the look at this team of course they're gonna win and then it oh okay and then you know now historically it's just like yeah that was that that made sense that was the correct outcome and again not that the the warriors are gonna fall victim to Shaq and Kobeitis, although you know there's there are certainly <laughs> some some trace elements of um, dysfunction, boredom, whatever it might be. So so it, it's interesting, yeah. Because I mean, again, I think historically it's sort of like that thing. It makes sense. Like we look back, and I mean, we don't look back. It's hard to look back with the same level of shock when upsets happen because you rationalize it over time, right? And and I think Matt, you made a good point. Like we've had so little kind of surprises i mean with the same team just making it over and over again like we've also sort of maybe lost that capacity to to foresee it coming you know from the future we just sort of assume it's whoever was good last year which is a perfectly reasonable you know way to kind of move forward but um it obviously does open you up to to not predicting teams that that can make leaps and and obviously this year the Bucks are, are certainly the obvious team that, that has made that leap. And and really like why I, I just wanted to talk to Matt with this is like, I, I just, as I filled out predictions, it was like, okay, yeah, you know, the Bucks will get to the, to the finals. And it was like, well, you know, they'll, they'll sweep the first round and then, you know, like they'll probably win in seven and then they'll probably win in seven. And like, it, to, there's just, a, I, I just feel like at some point there's this possibility. And I mentioned this to Frank a couple of weeks ago on the pod, but like, I just feel like there's a possibility at some point I'm gonna look back and be like, why the hell did I think this could go seven games? Like the bucks are, are, are better than this team. Like, yeah, I will say, look, go ahead. I, I will say this, the Boston, the way that the, the matchups landed, gives me a, a, a moment of pause. Um, I think I think the Boston matchup is really interesting. Agreed. I think it's really intriguing. And the biggest thing is going to be um, Boston is going to, ironically, because of all their, like the way that their personnel is, they shouldn't be this team. Because it's like Kyrie and Horford, who are very smart finesse players, um, and Hayward. But they're going to be the team that kind of grinds it into this execution game, where it's like, you know, you've been, you've played each other now six times. It's game six and you play each other a bunch and you know, you know, the rotations, you know, the timing on Giannis's passes, um, you know, at, like Horford's timing on his passes, like when he up fakes and then goes to the corner, like both teams know what the other one's going to do. And it's about execution. And when it gets that kind of tight, that's where the teams that have a higher level, that's where they win. And LeBron in 2006 had to get to that level in order to get past the Pistons. Like that was his moment of, he just went to another level. He just went berserk. Um, and Giannis has to get to that kind of level, I think, to get past Boston. The, the, the idea that like, well, look, Boston just hasn't been that good is valid. It is. So there's a possibility that you're right. And it's just like, and then we get to game five and it's like, the Bucks are just better this year. Like they're up, they're up, tw- they're up 12. And they've, every time that Boston's made a run, they've answered with two threes. Like, Chris Middleton looks like like Jordan again. I, I don't know. What, <laughs> I don't know what what the Celtics are going to do here. Um, but I do think that that's a, that's like the remaining question is if it gets into an execution game, and you're talking about who has the higher level of execution to be able to. It's not about scheme. It's not about tough decisions. It's about you're going to make this bucket. You're going to make this pass. You got to do this the right way. You can't turn it over. You can't you can't draw a charge, or you can't commit a charge. Like that's the moment where we're going to find out who the bucks are. I honestly, this is, I'm on the outlier on this because like Toronto has proven a lot 
and they should really be higher. But for whatever reason, I look at Boston as a much more serious threat than Toronto. I honestly think that if Milwaukee gets past Boston, I think the Eastern Conference Finals will be easier for them. <laughs> it, it's I, I think Frank and I have said that exactly. Something close to that, Frank. Like, um, I, I'm of the opinion as well that I think the more likely stumble for the Bucks is is in the second round against the Celtics than it would be against whoever uh, they get in the Eastern Conference Finals. Like it, that, uh, and I know Frank, you've mentioned Philly is maybe the team that scares you just because maybe Embiid is the best player, right? Like, but for me, it has been like Kyrie and and Horford. Like to me, it's just like well. Like that, it makes it tough. <laughs> like you're gonna have to go through those two, and those two. Uh, Horford has obviously given the Bucks fit fits for for a while, and then obviously Kyrie is well. Kyrie. It, here's a question. So I haven't given much thought to um to exactly like what a matchup with the Celtics would look like. Um, but I I know I mean Baines has been in and out of the lineup all year. Um, and it's always a little bit funny for for Bucks fans because like. I mean, I think we understand that Baines has been a really like useful player for them, but like I just can't get over like whenever Aaron Baines plays, like Giannis dunks on him. Like it just like it doesn't make sense because Aaron Baines is an enormous human being. Like like why he would just be like you know, it's like chum in the water, like Giannis just always dunks all over him when whenever there he's in the game. But um but I'm kinda curious, like, I mean Matt, if you're Brad Stevens, like I think I think if I I mean I've I've not been watching Celtics games, I thought I heard that they had trotted out um after really not doing it and maybe much um like this big lineup of uh of Baines and uh and Horford which I mean fundamentally is is tough to do against the Bucks just because Lopez is standing 30 feet from the hoop and I don't think you know you particularly want you know one or both of Aaron Baines and, and Al Horford having to, to to stand all the way out there um but like what what do you think is the the play like what what do you think if you're if you're Brad Stevens? Like, what's the card you play against the Bucks to try to beat them? And I mean, is there like an obvious, I guess, counter that that you that you look to for the Bucks, um, knowing that you know the Bucks really haven't necessarily needed counters that much, other than you know there have been times where they've gone to switching when they haven't been able to play kind of their base defense very successfully. So. Um... The the Baines lineup, I think, is important for them against most teams. Um, Baines is yeah. vital versus Philadelphia. I think he's important versus Toronto with Gasol. Um, the Milwaukee one's kind of intriguing. Um, he's played 16 minutes this season in one game um, versus the Bucks. Uh, he was a minus four, shot one of five, um, which is rare for him because when Baines plays more than 15 minutes, the Celtics have like a 60 to 70% win rate. Um, so basically like when Baines plays, they've been better. And that's been kind of the thing that I've been yelling about all season is everyone's like, what happened? This team was so good last year. And now they have all this talent and it's, and why is it not working? And I'm like, you took away the thing that worked really well last year, which was Horford and Baines destroyed teams because Baines was able to spread the floor just enough. And they're both excellent rim protectors. So you have two rim protectors on the floor at all times. Like even though Horford doesn't block a lot of shots, he contests and so you have two really smart interior defenders on the floor at all times. With the Bucks, I think that the opposite is true. The Boston has to go to Horford at five and play five out more. You have to basically counter what the Bucks do and just do it more. We saw that in the first matchup, right? If we go back and remember that first matchup, it was, okay, well, the Bucks have had a good start, but look what the Celtics did to them with, with this combination. 
And like, that's going to be a real problem for them. And the Bucks were like, oh, is it? Is that, it? Well, we're going to add Nikola Miritich and DJ Wilson's going to go off. How about that? <laughs> is that, that going to work? Because we're just going to have better, we're going to have a better small ball lineup because we're now going to have Giannis at five. Does that work for you? Um, I think that that's kind of like, that's going to be the, the question, I think. And honestly, I wonder if Baines might be the option because it's like intuitive that you would want Horford to kind of create that matchup, but where the Bucks have kind of evolved to, but that's going to be the tension point is the Celtics are going to try and play Lopez specifically off the floor. They're going to try and play Lopez specifically off of the court to get to that small ball lineup. And it'll be a question of, can the Bucks produce enough and play well enough? And can Lopez manage okay enough for them, for him to stay on the court to maintain that five out spacing that he provides? Because if he can't, even though it's like, look, this other small ball lineup with Miritich or Wilson or whoever has been excellent, you're still kind of like, I would still take that over Lopez, who literally is now able to rain down fire from 40 feet um, and is a great interior defender. So it's like, it's going to be this tension match. And I think honestly, the Stevens is going to have to try both ways to figure out whether or not countering small ball to try and force them to go small or going big to try and say, we're going to beat you at your own game a little bit better because Baines can make the rotation down low and then close out on uh, Lopez to a certain degree. Like That's going to be a real tension mark, I think, um, as that series goes on. It should be really fascinating. Frank, you have any other playoff questions before we transition to MVP talk? Um, no, let's talk about MVP. I'll, and I'll we can enter this by, I have to say, Matt, I don't think I've, I've I haven't said this to you directly, but um, I, you know, I tweeted something to the effect of that. I was like, kind of like bored or kind of like emotionally drained by the MVP conversation. And it was really, that was like really a subtweet to like the fact that I like see you like 15 times a day, like quote tweeting people saying stupid stuff about the MVP and then responding to them and trying to talk reason into people. So like, I basically like had my own like life sapping MVP debate sort of vicariously through your tweets essentially is what I'm saying. Um, So you, yeah. So you were like fighting the good fight of like reason and um, you know, as, as Eric kind of alluded to, like, I, I, I mean, you could write a doctoral thesis on this, on this MVP race at this point, probably like you, I don't know how many words you've written, tweeted and spoken about it. Um, So maybe the first question is this because again, like obviously, as a as someone who is obviously focusing on the Bucks, you know, this is the f- closest, obviously, that that we have been, um, like for me as a fan, to seeing one of my team's players win it. Um, have you like have you do you feel like you've been more engaged in the MVP discussion this year than in previous years, or is it just that I'm noticing more? And I guess maybe like maybe just in general, like I mean, like how do you kind of kind of frame this year's MVP race, both like maybe in your personal way you've covered it versus previous years. Cause obviously there've been, you know, every year is kind of different and has its own kind of feel to it, whether it's multiple guys or two guys or one guy kind of running away with it. But like, what's kind of been your, your own personal sort of experience covering this one versus previous years. So um, when I was at CBS, I worked at CBS for seven years as my first full-time job in the industry. And um, I had to do aggregation um, and, and columns and analysis and like everything all at once. And one of the things that you learn when you're doing this stuff and you're doing it year after year after year is you have to make a choice, which is you can either not care about something and just completely brush over it and do the rote stuff that you would do and just kind of like do it and get it out the way because it has to be up and you move on or you throw yourself completely into it. And with things like power rankings, 
I threw myself completely into it where I had a spreadsheet and I would evaluate every team on a one to five scale. And then all the fives would get evaluated on one to five scale and like all the way down to get like the most accurate answer I could off of power rankings. And with MVP, I started doing the same thing, which is like, I would write these long columns and started in 2011 when we had like a really good race with uh, Rose and Dwight Howard and LeBron, but LeBron's like whole narrative was really messed up. And honestly his performance that year with the heat was kind of shaky. It was like good stats not a great performance kind of year. Um, and that kind of kicked it off. And then there were good years in there, uh, but there were mostly a bunch of years where it was like, it's kind of obviously this guy, like it's obviously Durant. And we got to 2015. It was like, it was obviously uh, Curry. Like I did a whole thing in 2015. That was the closest one between Harden and Curry. And I decided that I was like, I really want to go deep on this. I told my editor, I was like, I really want to go deep on this. And they're like, sure. As long as you do all the other stuff too. Um, and so like I wrote breakdowns on each one's passing and their offense and their defense and their intangibles and did all these separate columns. And 2016 was really easy because it was Curry and he hit 402 threes and it was bended the law of reality. And, and that was that. 2017 was like where I took a new level because I realized in 2017, I was like coming out of really, really after New Year's Day, I was like, we have four legitimately awesome candidates, LeBron, Kawhi, Harden, and Westbrook. And they all are going to have significant vote shares. And there's going to be advocates all the way to the wire for all four. Um, and I really want to go deep. And so I did, like, I just went all the way in on it. And the, the kind of the opening thing that really changed a lot of my MVP talk two years ago was I wrote a column in early March where I asked, okay, this isn't about who should be MVP because you're going to read a million of those. But instead, what are the questions that you actually need to ask? If you want to have the best answer to the question, who do I think is MVP? You can't just be like, well, it's this because off the cuff. You have to question how you approach these very structural things that all the voters have to weigh. What does the most valuable mean? How do you evaluate teammates? How do you do all this? And when I got into those questions, I got really excited because it was this whole logic puzzle of trying to determine you know, tangible answers to very subjective things and trying to weigh all of the factors. 2017 remains the best race I've ever covered because the competition between the four was so tough and each one had such a strong case. This is the second best I've ever covered. Harden and, and, and Giannis have both had simply unbelievable, transcendent, historic seasons, and they both are completely deserving of MVP. Um, the, to have to parse between them was a real joy. And as frustrated as I may have been with how some fans approach this question and how unfair they are to the voters that have to decide these things, it was still a really awesome experience for me to watch all this awesome basketball because the thing I put on myself when I did this in 2017 was if I'm going to do this right, I have to watch every single possession. I got to watch every single possession that both play, that these players play on both ends of the floor. And that's a lot of possessions. I've seen just a lot of Giannis dunks. I've seen a lot of Giannis charges. I've just seen a lot of, 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 the same stuff over and over and over again, but you also catch all those little things and that makes you excited to do the analysis. Um, and so at the end of it, when I look back at this MVP race, what I'm really going to remember is this was a year in which it kind of proved to me something that I started to believe in 2017 and this year reasserted it, which is doing something historic doesn't necessarily make you most valuable. And that most valuable, when we really get to it, transcends any sort of tangible number that you can put on it. And it has to be, intrinsically tied to a team success that goes beyond even record and into how dominant that team was. Okay. So like trying to think, trying to think through all of that and trying to think through like every possession, um, just trying to think about that, that core thesis, I believe, uh, of how dominant 
someone is, how do you judge that? Like, what do you mean when you say how dominant is a team? So we're really, I landed on the question of like, what, how do you define most valuable is how impactful are you? Um, and that opens up a lot of things because if there was a year where it really was like, if Harden's win total had been a little bit higher, he might've snuck it out. Um, with Giannis, the core argument that I came to, it took me a while. I kept trying to think of the word that I wanted to use for Giannis. I was like, I just don't know. I need like the 10 second answer for what he is. Cause I had Harden's cause it's about his historic scoring with Giannis. I was like, he's like the most like impressive. He's the most like unstoppable. And then it really kind of hit me with everyone comparing him to Shaq, which like everyone leaps to that conclusion. Like I did too. Like you watch him and you're just like, yeah, this is, this is like a point guard Shaq. Um, and I just, when I think of Shaq, there's one nickname that stands out, which is the most dominant ever. And I was like, Oh, LeBron, Oh, Giannis is the most dominant player. That's it. He's the most dominant player in the league. And I realized that it was that be, there's just no way for you to stop him from getting to what he wants to do. Uh, the way that I've kind of parsed it between Harden and Giannis is that you can force Harden into the shot that you want him to take. He's just probably going to hit it anyway. Cause he's just that <laughs> damn good. You yeah. can't stop Giannis from getting to what he wants, not with where what the books have put around him. Um, and there's a relationship between how good a, a team makes a player and how good a player makes a team. And that synergy really matters to me. Because if you take a good team and you make them elite, like that to me means the most because that gives you the best opportunity to win. Um, I'm not somebody that thinks that wins are everything. I do a lot of metrics analysis. I'm obviously watching a lot of the game. But at the end of it, I still have kind of always come back to the fact of what are, why, why are professional sports money? <laughs> why are professional sports? The answer is money and winning and the, in, in that order. And with the Bucks, the Bucks have won the most and they've been the most dominant when he's been on the floor. And the net ratings and stuff like that are the tangible evidence I have to back that up. But when you watch, like that shines through. Um, when Harden was so on while we're, while we're here um, yeah. with Giannis, it, it's funny you mentioned this because uh, today that article that I wrote at the Athletic, like I I mentioned in that article that uh, you know like it was about like who could swing the series, and I said Eric Bledsoe, and in explaining that Eric Bledsoe could swing a series or whatever it may be, I said Giannis is going to be great every night, and there was uh, like a couple Raptors fans in the comments that were like geez, like how can you have someone so biased like writing about a team and, you know, like covering this guy? Like, you know, how can he like, you know, really be able to analyze that? And like, I, I like obsessed over that sentence. I was like, is he actually great every night? And like, I came to the conclusion that it's just like, yeah, he is. Yeah. Like, he, he is great every night. And the reason he's great every night is because you can't keep him from doing what he wants to do. Like, if he plays 30 minutes in a night, like, it's going to be really hard by the end of the night for me to not say that he had a great game because he's so good defensively offensively he affects the game in a million ways. Like at, for me, I, I just came to that realization, like as I wrote that sentence and like, uh, and again, I, I watch him every night. Like I've watched all of his games, uh, most of them multiple times. Like, and in my head, it was just like, I'm not, I'm not a homer. Right. Like, but as like, I kept obsessing over that sense. And as you say, like, he's the most dominant guy and he can do what he wants. Like, yeah, that's, that's, I think that's a great way to kind of sum up like how he is and, and who he is as a player. And like, I think it's funny when the whole teammates conversation comes into play and I really settled that question in, in 2017. Cause I realized that if you're going to say like, well, cause one of the arguments for Westbrook was like, well, look what he's playing with. 
and he's carried them so far. Now it's like, well, he had Victor Oladipo and Demas Bonus, and one of the one most improved <laughs> last year was an All Star, and the other one's the most improved player candidate this year. And oh yeah, that's right, he also had Stephen Adams, who looks awesome, and Jeremy Grant. Like, seems like it was a pretty good roster now. But also the fact that I realized when I was uh, when I really started to think about that, I, I thought two things. One, okay, if I'm going to reward a player for having bad teammates then I have to necessarily punish a player for having good teammates. And that's stupid. Why would you ever punish somebody for having good teammates or making his teammates better? That's inherently against the whole premise of the sport. That's just like the most ridiculous concept ever. So once that I got to that conclusion, it helped clarify a lot of things for me. And that's why I voted for Harden that year. Um, with Giannis this year, the other thing is, if you remember all the great MVP speeches that we've ever heard, one of the best parts of them is them thanking their teammates because they know that they don't get there without those guys. You can't win MVP without your teammates being good. You can't. Can't do it. Harden wins this. If Harden were to win this year, which he won't, but if he were to win this year, like P.J. Tucker played a role in that, and Clint Capella played a role in that, and Eric Gordon played a role in that, and Gerald Green was there. Like, all of these <laughs> things like played a part in, in, in a guy winning. And so for me, it's like when you talk about like he gets what he wants – is it true that the way that the Bucks have shifted their style of play to be five out has enabled him to do that? Absolutely. Like last year, you could just load up the paint. If it was last year's team, you could load up the paint because their spacing was horrible because their coaching was terrible. But the fact that they just have not terrible coaching this year, like Buzz done a great job, but really the bar is like, don't coach terribly, obviously give Giannis space. And that was like one of the things that picked up in preseason was like, everybody's like, it just makes so much more sense now. Why would you not do this? This is so obvious. <laughs> Good God, what have we been doing? Like the bar was so low um, that now like you really see what he's capable of. And instead of it being, did Giannis reach a new level this year or was it just his team enabled it? And the answer is like, no, his team quit holding him back so he could be the player he's capable of being. One one question I, I wanted to ask you, um, and this this kind of also gets to like the perception of the debate. I mean, you, you've been obviously a lightning rod for this um, among people on Twitter because you have just so prolifically covered, covered every side of it. Um, it's a little weird because and this is getting like very, you know, inside baseball meta uh, on the MVP race, but it's kind of funny because part of me, as I've been sort of observing, you know, again, like the fishbowl of Twitter, like how people are reacting to this. Like there've been times where I've been like, and, and I'd be curious, cause obviously I'm, I'm coming at from one, from, from a buck side, although um, as people listen to this podcast know my wife's from Houston and she is a Rockets fan. So I, I've watched, I mean, the Rockets are my second team. I, I've watched probably I'd say two thirds of, of all Rockets games over the past like four or five years, which, um, so I, th I think I have a good perspective on, on, you know, James Harden's actual game. I'm, I'm not basing and I, I respect that I am not subscribing to the, you know, uh, not basketball or like, I don't like the way he plays or it's not, you know, sustainable or you can't win. I'm, I, I am squarely not in that camp. Um, but one thing I find interesting is it, it, my perception is that it seems like Rockets fans are far more like obsessive over or, or, or maybe just angry about the idea of, of Harden, like the, the idea that Harden might not win and that Giannis could win this year. And I'm, I, I believe a lot of that is just like the baggage of feeling like he's been slighted in, in past years. And so there's sort of like this kind of like they're grizzled veterans of the kind of MVP snub sort of feeling. And so they're almost like hardened toward it. And, well, no pun intended, um, but they're, they're almost like kind <laughs> of like ready for it. So they sort of like are 
ready for a fight. Whereas like Bucks fans, I don't know, like, I mean, obviously Bucks fans are like biased towards, you know, of course, like they disproportionately believe Giannis is the MVP and all that. Um, but there's almost like, I don't think there's the same level of anger, but you have a better perspective on this than I do. I'd be curious um, what kind of like how, how you perceive both fan bases um, and, and obviously there's kind of the broader perception of the fan bases in terms of like, you know, covering this league for over a decade now. But, um, but I guess specifically with the MVP race, like there are times almost where it's like maybe Giannis isn't the MVP because Bucks fans don't seem to get as bent out of shape over it as Rockets fans. Like, does that, it's like almost like politics. Like you have to be more angry than the other side or something. Um, but what, what's been your perspective as, um, I, let's just say you, you are a neutral third party as much as. Uh, most fans seem to think that you know you hate their team um what what's been your perspective on that as far as like how sort of fans of, of both teams and players have have kind of viewed uh, their respective candidacies um here's what i get from bucks fans Giannis is obviously clearly mvp there's no question it's not even close that's about it that's all i get like just Giannis should be mvp but Giannis should, Giannis should win. That's it. That's all I get. Rockets fans. Here is a 17-tweet diatribe about how the media is biased, and therefore that's the only reason Harden's going to lose. And also, what this really means is that the 2017 vote was wrong. They are just warped from losing the 2017 <laughs> vote. Like, the 2017 one warped them. They are broken because they did not win in 2017. Um, which is shocking because like they should be way more upset about the fact that, that team melted down versus the Spurs in the playoffs. Like, that team really should have made a run to the finals uh, or at least to the conference finals. Um, I thought they had a great chance to beat the Warriors that year. Um, and like, I get it. Um, they point out how often media members talk about how much they dislike Harden. And what they miss is that any media member with a vote, not any, 95% of media members of the vote, like I feel confident having like at least a knowledge of them from having like covered their words as an aggregator or knowing them personally or whatever. 95% of them are people that are going to say, look, I don't like the guy's game, but he was the most valuable player this year. Like that's where a lot of his votes are going to come from. There's guys that are like, look, I don't like it, but realistically he's the MVP. Like that's where a lot of it's going to come from. Um, Bucks fans have been much more chill about it. Um, they've been, honestly, they followed the lead, I think, of Giannis, which is Giannis is very much like, whatever. Like, I want to win. Like, I want to win a title. Like, what, what are we doing here? And, like, that's, to me, is really impressive. Like, the Rockets have made it, uh, have made it a personal goal because Harden cares about it. Like, a GM told me this, that you're basically shaped by your best player. And Harden, who is a phenomenal player that I have done more deep dives on and I love his game, and all of this, um, Giannis, like Harden wants the MVP. Like he wants it. He wants as many as he can get. And so the Rockets want it. And so like Daryl's tweeting about it. And I love Daryl. I think Daryl's a genius. But like Daryl's tweeting about it. And like, it's like this huge deal. And so for him to have gotten shafted in their mind in 2017, even though like I voted for Harden, I maintain Harden was the right vote. Russell Westbrook also deserved it. Like four guys deserved it that year maybe three and a half, depending on how much you care about LeBron's defense. But like both guys were very deserving. Both guys are very deserving this year. The fact that they feel like the, the goalposts have moved is really twisted because in reality, they're just like, they're basically saying you voted for stats in 2017. So you should vote for them in 2019. And I'm like, but you didn't think that was the right choice then. And like, 
No, but you did. It's like, so you want people to make the wrong choice twice? That's like, that's my only thing is like, if you want to be consistent, say he should have won in 2017. And I'll say, I totally agree. But if you say he should have won in 2017, then you think Giannis should win this year. And the same principles kind of apply. And it's close. And I don't mind if you choose Harden between the two, because it is very close. But that's kind of the difference between the two fan bases is the Rockets have this deep-seated like venom towards the media and bias. I think it's unfair. And the reason I get upset at it is I'm like, that invalidates everything I've done. You saying the only reason that Harden's going to lose is because of the bias in the media means that because I came to the conclusion that Giannis should win, I don't actually respect Harden or I'm against him. And that's like categorically not true. I'm the guy that's on there talking about how brilliant the pass here is. I say, I believe this. James Harden's the best passer in the league. He is the best passer in the NBA. He is. And he doesn't get enough credit for that. And there's a lot of things he doesn't get enough credit for. And I have wild takes about the Rockets that will be coming out throughout the playoffs, actually. But, (laughs) but like at the end of the day, when I evaluate the regular season, and I broke it down in detail, Giannis from start to finish has been the more impactful player. Um, and Bucks fans, I think once they kind of realized that, that things had tilted their way, I think that's also one of the reasons that they're kind of cool about it. We'll see what happens in future years. <laughs> if, if like things don't go well in the playoffs and then like somebody else is the new shiny thing, we'll see what happens. Yeah, we're, we're, so, we're at like the, this, this may be ultimately, depending on how the playoffs go, this, this could be like peak honeymoon for Giannis from like a media kind of fan global coverage perspective. Cause like um, now he is, I mean, his team has the best record in the league. So even if people, you know, are not going to say the bucks are the best team in the league, even if there's still people that, you know, might even project a different team in the East to, to be, you know, the, the their favorite to come out of the East. Um, I mean, anything less than going to the final. I mean, that that's the thing, right? Like anything less than going to the finals, will I don't want to I don't know if cast a shadow is is the right word but I mean if they lose in six seven games in the fight in, in the east finals um there will be a narrative of like well they weren't ready you know they weren't you, you know they weren't all that they were kind of cracked up to be they're still a regular season team right um you know bud has seen that like <laughs> his team won 60 games without a superstar they lose to LeBron who is LeBron and like now people like look at that team as like this like oh they were like frauds or something right um and a part of that's because obviously like the the historic like historically they, they just couldn't couldn't maintain that for for a number of reasons in the in the in the time that followed but um but yeah I, I think it's it's really interesting because it's like from a coverage standpoint obviously you know you guys is covering um air covering the box matt you covering the league it is we are sort of at this interesting point because we're kind of, I think we're kind of at this inflection point, you know, and, and it's interesting because it just, you can see it like in a way, you know, ESPN has to cover Giannis now, right? Like Giannis is like, okay, you know, in the last like month, it just feels like when I've, you know, been like casually watching, it's like, there is like, okay, like there's like almost some sort of like editorial shift that like, okay, yeah, we, this is, this is the next guy. So we gotta, we gotta change our coverage of him a little bit. Um, and obviously now the big question is the playoffs and depending on what happens there, you know, I mean, short of winning the championship, obviously like anything that falls short at this point, like he's going to be, you know, Skip Bayless is now going to have strong opinions about him. Um, you know, random national people are going to get hot takey about him. And if he doesn't win a championship this year, then, you know, 
they may decide that he's, you know, whatever. Um, and so I, it will be interesting just to kind of see. And again, I don't think that necessarily changes Giannis because obviously he is very good at sort of cloistering himself from all that. Um, but it is interesting because like, I, I think that part, I, I feel let's, let, let's say this. I don't think that Giannis being the shiny new toy, as you put it, Matt, which I think is a, a good, a good metaphor. I don't, let's just say, I don't think that hurts him in the MVP vote by any stretch. Um, you know, it's funny to think that he was, I think the, the odds on favorite coming into the season, maybe if I, I saw some, 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 some people mentioning yeah. that, um, that he, you know, ultimately like is now apparently on track to win it. Um, but yeah, it will be interesting just to see, just to see kind of where it goes from here. And, and obviously, you know, Giannis's philosophy is right. Like all you can do is win and that will win you MVPs. And it will also get people off your back when they, when you win an MVP and then maybe don't live up to expectations one year, you got to win the next year. So, um, I I don't know. I mean, it, it all kind of starts to intertwine, but we are kind of reaching certainly just a different level um, of kind of fame and stardom for him. And it's, it's going to be interesting to see just how kind of coverage of him changes as well. Kind of now that yeah. we're again, nearing, I'd say maybe the end of the honeymoon or, or again, you know, if they win a title, then I guess the honeymoon <laughs> continues a lot longer, but um, I think, it, you know, I've, yeah, I think it kind of caught a lot of us off guard. Um, I, I don't think we're there yet. Like we have to see Giannis take over in a playoff series, but yeah. Um, a lot of us have kind of like started hinting at the fact of like, look, you know, this, he just won MVP. How many more is he going to win? Like, if they make a run, and even if they don't win the title, but if they win the East, like, he's now the top dog. Um, the difference is, if he fails, now it becomes, like, you know, if you remember, it's like LeBron ascends, he beats the Pistons on his own, and then it enters into this territory, like, he wins MVP, but he can't get past the Celtics and he can't get past the Pistons um, and frustration sets in and he's trying to get to the next level. And then like, that's where the stagnation kind of occurs. And then it becomes this criticism of, yeah, he's great. But, and so like, that's the thing is like, once you hit this level, the expectations only increase and Giannis seems to want it more than, than in my opinion, most stars that I've encountered do like his level of commitment is ridiculous. Um, and I was going to say one thing that fascinates me about all of this is just the, just the idea that, um, you know, think about how quaint the is Chris Middleton a number two discussion is, like in comparison to this. Like all of this, because of what the Bucks have done, because of Giannis possibly winning MVP, like no one gives a shit about that anymore. Like it will be, is Giannis good enough? Whether that's fair or not, and whether or not this team is good enough or not, like that is what the I conversation don't, actually, is. I don't, I think that if they get to the finals, I think that then that will suddenly become a point though right because you think like so? i think yeah it, I, I think he's a big enough star that at that point it just shifts to nope like well Giannis got to find a way to win i think it can be both i mean i think the Giannis needs to find a way to win thing becomes like the you know get up first take you know kind of uh, let's focus on the megastar sort of talking point um but i think like you know let's just say you, it, look, if, if the Bucks lose to the Sixers, it's going to be, well, the Sixers had, you know, three guys beyond Embiid who are better than Middleton or something like that, right? Like that, that like is very tailor-made to, I think, like an, a shit on Chris Middleton like narrative. <laughs> sure. um, and obviously a lot of it depends on like how Chris, I mean, I don't want to like preordain that if the Bucks lose, it'll be because 
in part because the 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 you know the supporting cast or Middleton specifically didn't didn't show up because obviously they lost with him being just like a human torch last year. Um, but yeah, I think it's inter- I think it, it's it'll be interesting. I mean, I think problem is like when you have expectations and you lose in the playoffs, like everybody's going to catch some of it, right? Like the you know if Bud's coach of the year, which I assume he will be, then you know it's going to be like, well, can Bud win in the playoffs, right? If and it's going to be Middleton and Bledsoe, like were they good enough, right? Um, and certainly against the Warriors, I mean, nobody's expecting the Bucks to beat the Warriors necessarily. Um, but it'll just be kind of, it won't be necessarily about the Bucks so much, but it's just like, well, the Warriors just have too many stars and, you know, Giannis, you're adorable. You're like the next big thing, but you, you need more help. Right. And it's like, oh, can the Bucks get him more help? Um, so I, I don't know. I mean, I think personally that, that short of, short of a championship, um, I, I think we, we would still hear that, but I think in fairness, like we'd probably, you know, part of that is just sort of like the warrior kind of death star sort of effect. Um, but I think it would be very different if they don't come out of the East, because I think Philly in particular, if they were to lose to Philly, I think plays that easily. Um, and Boston is just weirder because Boston doesn't have like, obviously a top end talent to really kind of match Giannis in like kind of that like top five type type way. Um, but they're just kind of built on, on, you know, depth, kind of like star depth, but I, I don't know, Matt, what, What's your, if you were to peer into your like crystal ball of cynicism, um, <laughs> like, do you, like, do, well, and, and I don't want to, Eric, I don't want to derail kind of your, your original thought. Cause I think, you know, you were, you were making the point, obviously that, that the, the Giannis needs more help narrative has kind of been shot to hell, which I think to, to yeah. a large extent it has. Um, but I think, let's just say it could be resurrected pretty quickly if the Bucks fall short. And cause look, yeah. I mean, when look at Giannis's like biggest individual games of the season, right? 52 against the Sixers in a loss, 45, barely beating the Sixers, 43 yep. in a loss to in Utah, 43 in a loss to the Raptors. He did have, I think 44 and a win in Cleveland, which, you know, again, Cleveland. Um, so, I mean, there's, there's a precedent for, and I think there, it, there's still an argument for, you know, let Giannis just have to beat you by himself and take away other guys that that's sort of been a lot of, I think what Stevens has done at various points. Um, and, and that, that may still be the path, right? Like, okay, Giannis is going to average 35 this series. Okay. But you know, he's going to have to work really hard and then we're not going to give up looks to the open to the other guys and just hope that they miss shots. I mean, I, I could, I could definitely see that in which case, obviously, you know, then it would lead more to that. It's kind of like, all right, he doesn't have help narrative, but, but that may also be just part of the tactic yeah i just think it's really kind of funny um like we we literally went from uh in last in April, last year in april um, a year ago of can we get Giannis some help please can we get rid of these bombs and get Giannis a real team Giannis to la to Giannis shouldn't win mvp because his teammates are too good <laughs> like it was the calendar year not even that, that we reached that point. Um, and, and it's absolutely true that if, if Middleton, if Middleton bombs, um, the people will line up to say, this is the all-star you have next to Giannis. And I mean, Bucks fans will apparently be at the lead of that, which I thank Eric for exposing me to that idiocy this year. Um, but like, let him walk, you know, let him walk. Like Eric, like Eric, <laughs> Eric yeah, let him walk. Eric Bledsoe, like, you know, Oh, Drew Bledsoe's back. Like all of this kind of stuff. Like, you can't win, which it'll be stuff like, like you'll hear inside talking about like, you just cannot, you, you can't win for the jump shooting team. Like the Warriors <laughs> are like literally 
over there having won three of the last four titles and <laughs> headed for fourth and five, and they'll still be like, Bucks can't win, can't score inside with the most dominant two point scorer in the last 20 years in a league dominated by jump shooting with one of the best three point attacks. And it's just like comes down to like, look, this stuff's hard. This stuff's hard. And I, I tell you, versus Boston, versus Boston, versus Toronto, it's, it's, does somebody get hurt? Does, does, do you have one of those games where a call doesn't go your way? Is there a fracas and somebody steps off the bench? Like NBA history has been defined by random outlier moments. If Chris Paul just, just plants differently last year, the Golden State Warriors run has ended. Yeah. Ended. Yeah. And the, and the Rockets win a, win a championship, right? James Harden's the MVP and, the Rockets, and has a championship. And the, yeah. Rock, yeah. and the Rockets win a championship, and James Harden's got a title, and maybe the Rockets fans aren't even in my mention every goddamn day. So like, <laughs> all of these things hinge on like little moments. And in order for you to win, you have to be dominant. You have to be ready. You got to be a little bit lucky. And so you know, Milwaukee's done, I think, the best job of any team of preparing itself with depth. Like That's one of the things that's amazing about them is like – Take Giannis off the floor; they're still pretty damn good, um, and they're in good position to capitalize on that. But they've got to get it done, and if not, the narrative starts to shift. Um, you got like if they fail this year, it'll probably if it's to Boston, it'll probably be like okay, look, Boston's really good, but this is going to be a rivalry for a long time. Um, if they were to lose before that, obviously it would be okay. You know, now you got real questions, and that can impact you going into next year. But the one thing also I would tell Bucks fans is like, look hold on to this year, hold on to it dearly and enjoy every freaking second. Don't, don't worry about Middleton this summer and don't worry about whatever other thing, the luxury tax for whoever you're going to wave or whatever. Don't like you have the MVP on the best team in the league headed into the playoffs. You've got home court in your new arena. This is going to be a hell of a lot of fun and you need to suck as much fun from the marrow of the bones of this playoff <laughs> run as you possibly can. Man, I was going to ask another question, but that feels like a really good place to stop. Um, I, I guess, for, whatever, I'm going to ask one more question. Whatever, we only have you. So it's like once every three years. So, um, Matt, uh, one thing with this MVP discussion that I find interesting is, you know, like we talked about wins and impact and stuff like that, but there's always like, I feel like Bucks fans always want to come back at Harden and be like, oh, but what about the other side of the ball? What about defense? And they always feel like it's a very good comeback. And I'm curious how good of a comeback you feel it is and, you know, how much of, you know, like the two-way player kind of stuff uh, do you feel kind of plays into this conversation? So I care very much about defense. Um, and if you read my complete ca- the definitive case for Harden on Action Network, um, Harden really impressed me because when I started digging into, into his defense, um, I knew the bad stuff because I'd picked up on it. Like I know his defense, I know his off ball defense really well by now. I've done so many breakdowns on his failures on that end that I'm able to, to see when he's, when he's having a good year, when he's having a bad year. And he had one of his worst off ball seasons in, since he got to Houston. He also had his best on ball season since he got to Houston. This is the best on ball defense Harden's ever played. Um, he was disruptive. He caused a huge number of turnovers, which enabled the Rockets to get out in transition, and they just kill you then. Um, they've played uh, brilliantly uh, in terms of being able to, to body guys. He's always been a really good post defender, and like Rockets fans love that element of how good he is in the post. The problem is I was also like, oh, but that's only like, like how often does he do that? Well, actually it turns out James Harden actually defends the most post-ups per game in the league. Like for whatever reason – 
teams go at Harden in the post every single time, and every single time it's very, very stupid. Um, but he also got a lot better at on-ball. He's better as a in the pick-and-roll as an on-ball defender. Um, he's better and way better in isolation. He's genuinely disruptive. Um, Harden gave phenomenal effort on-ball. He is a horrible defender off-ball. Now, I found a lot of stuff with Giannis that was interesting in terms of he he dares a lot of guys because of his length. Like, he's... He, when he helps over, he helps over all the way. And sometimes he does overestimate his recovery time because it's like, you, I don't care how that you're the, I don't care that you're a pterodactyl. You literally cannot cover that much space <laughs> in the amount of time. The ball just moves faster than you. Um, and he gives up some corner threes. I noticed that a lot of it's like their pick and roll defense. They don't play him up very much. So he drops a lot, which means he gives up a lot of jumpers off the dribble. Um, I got into specific stuff that was interesting. Like I was like, God, he gives up a lot of jumpers off the dribble. Who is doing this to him? And then I looked and it's like Emmanuel Moody. hit six jumpers on him. <laughs> like the most random people had jumpers on him. Like the most, like Jonathan Isaac had two on him. Um, and like Isaac's a good spot up shooter, but like off the dribble. Um, and so like all, it shows you the noise that can happen throughout a season. And so really what it comes down to is if, if Bucks fans are trying to evaluate are trying to use that comeback, you definitely can come back with, with the best, the way I would do it as opposed to being a snot about it because we just don't need anybody else being snotty on Twitter is just say Harden's been great on ball this year but we both know that Giannis is a more complete player and no Rockets fan is going to be able to argue with that they're going to say like yeah but he's this that and the other it's like no like we both know Giannis is a more complete player and he is he's in my opinion he, he's defensive player of the year by a very very slim hair he is one of the few people I had this idea a couple of years back and I've kind of abandoned it because I realized it's insane but I had this idea for basically making the MVP into you had to win the triple threat, which is you had to win defensive player of the year, offensive player of the year, and most outstanding player. And if you won all three of those, then you were MVP. Like, let's raise the bar. Hmm. Giannis is the only is the only guy since I came up with that harebrained whack-a-mole idea. He's the only guy that would actually that would now he wouldn't win it because the Harden would win most. He would win a best offensive player, but Giannis would be like top two in every single category. Yeah, it's interesting, and and Matt, that's a good point because I think. I've been very pleasantly surprised when I've been seeing a lot of the defensive breakdowns um, of like the the defensive player of the year candidates and also, you know, Giannis's case and, and how his defense plays into his MVP candidacy, because I've actually been kind of surprised at some of the numbers around Giannis's defense, like his individual defense, because I mean, in, in a lot of ways, um, I mean, we've kind of debated this on the podcast, like what, what he's comparable to, like, you know, he's not like, he's not really like a shutdown corner per se. Like if you're going to try to use that analogy, like, but, but then he's also is kind of like one because like teams just don't really like go at him. Like, you know, like the bucks also like don't put him on like a, the the other team's best player. So it's just sort of like an understood thing. He's going to be over here and this, that guy's going to be irrelevant. Um, But it's not going to be the best player, but then he's going to obviously be able to help over and kind of just wreck, wreck shit. Um, but I totally agree. Like, I mean, if you are like a random dude uh, and you can shoot three pointers, like you want to be guarded by Giannis because Giannis is going to ignore you to try to kill everybody else. And you're going to get some looks and it's just going to be a matter of like, you know, do you hit them? Um, and obviously there's been a fair bit written about the Bucks and sort of how, <laughs> again, I think Bud would bristle at the idea that they give up threes by design to anyone. But and he say- has. <laughs> anytime anyone has brought it up to him he has bristled at it i yeah. will say well, that i can confirm just, in person. yeah let's just say there are certain players that they prioritize defending last <laughs> at the three-point line um but yeah i mean i think Giannis, like i mean he is not like like he's super switchable for a guy his size 
Um, but the flip side is like, I mean, you know, you'd never want to try to have him go over a screen, which is why, like, you know, if you put him on like Kawhi, he's just going to get like, they're just going to run a pick and roll and then he'll have to, they'll have to switch off because he can't go over a screen. He's too big and gangly and enormous. And even on the perimeter, like, as you said, like he'll get, like, he has like a, what I would say, like a, a slow defensive first step. But he can recover so well because he's got obviously that like terrific length that he's not like ultimately exposed as much. But like, you know, he's definitely not for all his physical tools. Like he's in no way like, you know, the Kawhi, Paul George, like able to move his feet and you just like can't get around him type guy. Like he doesn't have that ability. Just he's just too big. And he's more a long strider than like kind of that like, you know, little guy. Um, But obviously the, uh, the ultimate end result is still incredible. And, you know you need to look only obviously at the kind of team results and his defensive rating and all that stuff. Obviously it, it just, it, it works like <laughs> you know what the bucks have done, um, especially in comparison to previous years. It works. Well, I, think, um, I think one of the things that's like, um, like Eric kind of clued me into like his slow first step. And, and so I like, I was watching for that when I went back and watched, but one of the other things that I noticed was that um, out of all the possessions and all the minutes that he's been on the floor this year, opponents only went at him in isolation 73 times. And that's one of the things that I noticed a lot is like, I realized that one of the things that probably happens is that when he gets beat, it's going to stand out more because it never happens because nobody is ever like, you know what I'm going to do? <laughs> I got this pterodactyl here and I'm going to try and drive around him and get to the rim where Brooke Lopez is waiting. I'm going to do that. Like, no, like nobody's ever like that. And so like he, there are weaknesses, but Giannis gets challenged way less because of his presence. Gobert has the same thing inside where guards go in and they're, and they're like, you'll see this a lot. Jeremy Lin is, is my favorite at this. Cause he actually like, he exaggerates it in a very dramatic way. Like Jeremy Lin will go in and be like, Nope, 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 Nope. Like, <laughs> has to be like, be like, I'm going to take a layup. And then he sees Gobert and he's like, Nope, 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 Nope. And he dribbles out. And you see that a lot of the time with Giannis where guys will switch on. And I've noticed that like, they'll switch on and hold the ball and be like, Nope. And they just pass it to the guy on the right as if they're like, no, don't care about the play call. This is you. I'm not going there, man. Was, was that the uh, baby coming around the corner and, and going back the other way? <laughs> yeah. is that, is that, yeah. I think that was the yep. Jeremy Lin sound effect. Um, yep. Yeah. It's, and, and I would say like the, the Giannis effect um, is, is maybe, and, and this has been true for years, but has been maybe as like most pronounced, like in transition, like if Giannis is like floating back in transition, like, nobody wants to really go at Giannis in transition. Like, you know, especially like a guy who's, you know, smaller. And, and again, if you're bigger, you probably can't dribble the ball at all. So you're not getting, those guys don't really get those chances either. Um, so it's, it, it makes sense that the Bucks transition defense has been so incredible. I mean, you've got Lopez shooting, you know, from the logo, so he doesn't have to run very far back. And Giannis is obviously able to cover just immense amounts of space and, you know, occasionally give you those chase down blocks as well. And which again, like as part of that, like, I, I think t- guys just are aware of that. Like you don't want to be that guy. Um, and so you do see guys just, Oh, Giannis is back. All right. I'm just going to peel. I'm just going to peel it out and, and, and reset. So um, yeah, I, I, it's funny. Cause I wanted to ask you about the defensive player of the year um, because I, I thought it was interesting um, that it felt like for a long time, like nobody was really talking about him. Um, and I think that was maybe in part, like it seemed like the Paul George narrative he was kind of like the dominant non-rim protector guy that people were talking about and then you know with the george injury and kind of the the thunder dropping off it was almost like Giannis's defensive player of the year candidacy had like more room to breathe and i think um zach Lowe wrote about it and, and really kind of put it out there in more um 
kind of direct fashion that like, yeah, he's like totally a candidate to, to be defensive player of the year. And it, it's been interesting now in the last like couple of weeks with people talking really openly about ballots that like, it's like, Oh yeah. Like people now totally get what he's doing. And obviously the bucks being um, at least for the moment, still the, the best defensive team in the league. It's, it's definitely not going uh, unnoticed. So anyway, I will say, I will say also just as a note though, that um, the biggest reason that he's, I think he's defensive player of the year is that Paul George suffered a shoulder injury. Yeah. Like George was the most complete defensive player this season um, and deserves a lot of credit for that. Um, but like Gian- Giannis has been awesome, um, but and he's been better than Rudy Gobert, which is freaking saying something. But I just do want to give a little shout out for Paul George there, who if he hadn't had a shoulder injury, like I did two MVP profiles, I was prepared to do a third for Paul George if he hadn't had a shoulder injury and, and lost it towards the end. All right, I think we're I think we're about uh, exhausted of topics. Am I right there, Frank? Or is this going to be a classic? I think we're done, and then I ask you. If then go done. on another twenty minutes. Yeah, yeah no. We at some point we have to let Matt get back to uh, his regular life. So um, this has been great, Matt. Always appreciate it. Um, the- Before you go, Matt, um, tell me tell everyone about the Action Network and what it is that you're doing. I know that when you, I'm trying to think. I think when you put out your Giannis story uh, at the start of the year, like I downloaded the app and now it's like, oh, what's the score of this game? Like that's the app that I go to. Um, so yeah, go plug it. Yeah, go to actionnetwork.com. Our app is awesome. So the app is like, I, I've timed it versus ESPNs and CBSs and the actual NBAs. Our feed updates faster. Um, we just get the feed faster in. It's very lightweight as part of it is it doesn't, we don't have a lot of bells and whistles going on with it. We're not loaded down with ads and stuff. So you're going to get the information the fastest. Um, we're geared around betting and DFS. So I do a lot of analysis on the lines. Like I'll be doing a thing this week, basically ranking all the series prices for the first round, as well as in-depth analysis on the first round. Um, my job is basically just to write and try to make fans smarter by whatever degree I can. Um, in my limited knowledge, um, our app is really awesome. You should check it out. Lots of great stuff on there. Complete coverage, um, including, um, quite possibly, uh, coverage of the second round, uh, from me in Milwaukee. Whoa! The right way. Does that... Oh, so Vanguard, I got to plan a couple sausage trips in here. That's what you're telling me. Let's do it. I mean, I, I, I want to do the whole Milwaukee food tour again. I had such a killer time when I came in the fall. I am, I am very excited about a deep bucks playoff run just to be able to enjoy Milwaukee. (laughs) Okay. I'm so, I'm so in on that. Um, all right. So that is Matt Moore, senior NBA writer at the action network, Matt, thank you so much for coming along and to wrap it up. Remember you can get the show every day, subscribe to locked on bucks on the new Himalaya podcast app and an ever-expanding podcast world. You need Himalaya with their personally curated playlists and new features every day. Download Himalaya at your app store and subscribe to Locked on Bucks. Thanks for listening. Remember, you can subscribe to the show on the new Himalaya podcast app as well as Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. When you get in your car, tell your smart device to play podcast Locked on Bucks. The Bucks play tomorrow. Who cares? Everyone's sitting out. (laughs) This was way better and way more fun. Uh, Giannis is out. Brooke Lopez is out. And everyone else that you think would be out is out. So that is what's going to happen in Bucks Thunder uh, tomorrow night. So hopefully you enjoy it. And hopefully you enjoyed this conversation. Big thanks to Matt. That's Frank. I'm Eric. This has been Lockdown Bucks. We'll talk to you guys later.